few weeks or a few years ago, I was sitting with a couple that was getting ready to get married, doing a little premarital counseling, and they'd asked me to do their ceremony. So we're talking about what they want me to say. And what I do when I when I marry couples, I ask them to write their vows to each other. So I don't write them. I get them to write them, and then they get to to say that to each each other. And so we're there in the in this session, and and the girl asked me. She said, "Well, do I have to say obey?" <laughs> I was like, in my mind, I'm thinking, "Well, I wasn't going to put that in there, but I'll just have a little fun with her." So I said, "Well, um, why why would you not?" want to say obey and she said well it just sounds so like old-fashioned like 1950s and I don't, I don't want to say obey and I said well yeah okay that that makes sense um I said what will you do it and she said well I do what will you obey him and she said I will not you know so I know who's going to be doing the obeying in that wedding in that marriage for sure Obedience is something that I don't know that we that we've ever talked about it from this stage about obeying God, about obeying what God says to do. Obedience is just this. It's to carry out or fulfill a command. And specifically today, I'm going to talk to you about Christ's command to be baptized, Christ's command to be immersed in water, and what all that means, and who needs to do it, and why they should. Next week, not only is our is it our second anniversary, it's our first baptism service of the year. And I thought, why not take a week and let people know what it means? Because I know there's people here today that, that may not understand that when you hear us say baptism service, you're not sure and you've got questions. So I decided that today we would do something just a little bit different and I would talk in the message about baptism and about what that means and about how to do it and why to do it. I'm going to talk about baptism from a biblical perspective. And there's some folks coming down the aisles with Bibles. If you're here for the first time and you don't have a Bible, please indicate that and they'll give you one that's yours to keep. If you forgot yours, uh, if you need an extra one, whatever. Grab one and you can keep it. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, these were the last words that Jesus had to say to His disciples. He he had already died, He'd been buried, and He resurrected. So He had some last words, some things that He wanted them to do, some things that He wanted to make clear that they did. And every church that gathers, every group of people that get together and say, we want to be a church, or we want to start a church, or we want to be about changing the world, we need to read Matthew chapter 28 and see what it is Jesus really wants us to be about. In verse 19, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of of the age. These disciples were sitting around Jesus and he wanted them to know as you go as as I leave you and you go out into the world, here are some things I want you to focus on. Here are some things I want you to be about. Here are some things I want individuals to be about. Here are some things I want churches 
to be about. And Jesus says those same things to us today is make a difference in the world. Teach people what I have to say about life. Teach people what I have to say about how they can come in to a relationship with me, to a relationship with the creator of the universe. You know, traveling around with Jesus was probably a lot of fun for those folks. People that got to walk around with Jesus and watch him watch him perform miracles and watch him take uh, big jars of water and turn them into big jars of wine. I'm sure there were people saying, Jesus, that was the best trick I've ever seen. I mean, it was water and now it's wine. Could you do that like every Friday night? I mean, that would be really cool. And they travel along with Jesus and they see Jesus take somebody that can't see and he puts his hands on their eyes and now they can see. They see Jesus go up to lepers, people whose bodies are rotting away, and He touches them and makes them clean and makes them whole. They see Jesus reach down and get people that can't walk, people whose legs don't work right, and He picks them up and they walk. And they even got to see Jesus raise people from the dead. So it was probably a lot of fun and exciting to travel around with Jesus. I'm sure he had people saying, Jesus, could, could you do that one again? Could you show us that one again? Could you tell us a little bit more about all this stuff you're going to do for us? Tell us about that kingdom you're going to set up. Tell us about heaven. Tell us about how you're going to give us a new life. In John 14, Jesus said this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus is saying, you like what you see? You like what I'm doing? You want to be able to do the same kind of things? You want to be able to have the kind of impact on the world I'm having? All you got to do is ask. I mean, that's a pretty great relationship. That's kind of cool for somebody to say, I have the power, and I'm going to give it to you, and all you have to do to get what you want is ask me. It's just let me know and you can have it. And Jesus goes on to say, if you love me, you will obey my command. And there's that word again, obey. The word that scared this soon-to-be-married girl that didn't want to say it to the guy she was going to be married to. The word obey. Obedience is something God asks for. It's something God expects from us. God doesn't expect blind obedience, but God expects us out of our love for him, out of our love for Christ and what he's done to obey. And I realize that when you came in today, you're probably in one of three groups. I think these three groups that are represented by these chairs will probably cover everybody in the room. Group number one are the people that are just here checking things out, just checking out church, seeing what it's like. Maybe you've been a few times. Something keeps drawing you here. You keep coming, but you have not accepted Christ. You stand outside the family of God. You stand in need of Christ as your Savior. I want you to know something, group one. We think about you Every time we plan a service, every time we plan a song, 
a video, an event, we think, how does that make Christ relevant to people in group one? People that don't know him. People that have maybe given up on God, given up on church, and are for some reason being drawn to life point. We think about you every time we plan a service and every time we do anything. Then there's the people in group two. Those are the people that have given their lives to Christ, that have asked Him to forgive their sin, that have, have come to know Him in a new way, people that read their Bibles, people that pray, people that come to church, and people that live in a relationship with God and live to the best of their ability, obedient to God. But people in group two are missing out on something. People in group two need to do something. And that something is baptism. You've got this relationship with God that you've started. But if you've not been baptized, you're missing out on the fullness of what God wants you to do. And then there's the people in group three. The rest of us. The people that have given their lives to Christ, have followed His command to be baptized and live for Him every day. So people in group three, don't check out on me because there's something you can get. I'm going to talk about some things that you can really take home with you if you're in group three. But primarily, I want to talk to group one people and group two people. God expects obedience, but not blind obedience. Not just not making us any promises, not just not just God saying, obey me and, and whatever. God says, obey me and this is what's going to happen. This is why I want you to obey me. This is how you can obey me. And when it comes to Christian baptism, it's not just a ritual. It's not just an initiation. It's not just an act that people go through. There's significant meaning behind baptism. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4, 12 chapters into God's story of, man, of God trying to reconcile mankind to himself, it says this. We find the guy, Abram, who eventually became Abraham. God said to him, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make into you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord told him. This story of Abram or Abraham clearly illustrates God has a process of obedience for us. The first thing God did, God gives a command. He said, leave your country. God says clearly, here's what I want to do for you. Here's what I want you to do for me. God says clearly to Abram, leave your country and here's what I want you to do. So what is God today saying to you? What, what does he want you to do? Is there something in your life that you're confused about, that you're, that you're in turmoil about? What's God saying do? The next thing God does in this process of obedience is God gives a promise. He says, Abram, if you do what I'm asking you to do, you're going to be blessed. And God says to us today, if you do what I'm asking you to do, 
My promise is that you will be blessed. And then we're left with a decision. We're left with having to make a decision. Will I follow God or will I not follow God? Will I firmly put my feet on God's side in God's territory and do what He wants me to do? Or will I stand on my side and do what I want to do and try to make life work all on my own? We've got that decision. Every time God asks us to do something, we've got a decision. Am I going to follow or am I not going to follow? And then the last thing in this process of obedience is we act on God's promise. It says in verse 4, Abram left as the Lord had told him. Not because it was sensible, not because God gave him all the little details about the future, but he did it because it was the right thing to do. He didn't know what the road ahead was going to look like, but Abram did it anyway. He followed God because it was the right thing to do. And there's a lot of times in our life we need to follow God and make a decision and act simply because it's the right thing to do. Maybe you're in a relationship that's a bad influence that brings you down more than it builds you up and pulls more energy out of you than it gives you. Well, maybe the right thing to do is to sever that relationship. Maybe you need to stay in your marriage, not because everything's working perfectly and not because you never fight and not because you're just so madly in love, but maybe just because it's the right thing to do. And there's times in our lives where we do something just because it's the right thing to do. And in this process of obedience, God expects us to act on His promises. And Jesus clearly gave this command to be baptized. And depending on your religious background, depending on what you've heard, what you've been taught, what you've read, there's a wide range of beliefs about this topic of baptism. I mean, they go from one spectrum all the way over to the... I mean, it's just completely different beliefs on it. From people that love God, that want to do the right thing, from people that study His Word, from people that pray, from people that have given their hearts and lives to God, they fall down in different places on this topic. There's the people on one side that say, you know, baptism is this act that if you don't get it right, if you don't understand it right, and if you don't do it just right, well then, it's canceled, it didn't count. If when you were lowered into the water, maybe your pinky didn't go under, you know, God's going to be like, well, you know... (laughs) The pinky didn't go under, you know. These people on this side turn baptism into something it's not. They turn it into an idol. It's like some mystical, magical thing that if for some reason you miss out on the correct understanding, then you're somehow not pleasing to God. That view is not biblical. But then there's the people on the other side that say, <clears throat> that say, baptism, if you want to do it, you can. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. It's totally up to you. You know, if you want to do it, great. Just don't want you to think it's, you know, something you have to do. Since when is there a command of God that is optional? Where in the Bible, and I've read it from front to back, Does it ever say, here are the commands that are optional. And if you don't want to obey these, 
you don't have to. I mean, it might be nice if that book were in there, but it's not. It's not biblical to say, ah, it's optional. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. It's just something that, you know, if you're comfortable with it and, you know, depend on your upbringing, you know, it's your choice. That's not a biblical view of Christian baptism. We believe at LifePoint where the biblical view is, is here, is in Scripture, is in what the Bible has to say about it. That baptism is something that a person does, that, that they put their faith and their trust in God. They look to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and they follow Him obediently in this act of Christian baptism. And that is what the Bible says that baptism is all about. It's about obeying what God said to do. So back to group one. If I'm sitting in group one, I'm outside the family of God. I haven't confessed Christ. But I'm drawn here. Something keeps drawing me to life point or into relationships where people know Christ. Maybe I'm a little bit confused because I'm not sure what the next step should be. But do you have to be perfect to be a Christian? I mean, if you let me just tell you, we've said before, if you're if you're perfect, you're in the wrong church. You came, you you happened into the wrong theater this morning because there is no perfect people. You won't find one friend here if you're perfect because there are no perfect people at this church. God knows that we're imperfect, and He knows that you and Group One are imperfect. In Romans three verse twenty three, it says, "For all have sinned and fall short." Of God's glory. So group one, if you're here, join the, join the club. We're, we're all imperfect. We all fall short of God's ideal. We all don't measure up the way God wants us to measure up. So what do we do? How, how do we get from not measuring up and how do we get out of, if you're in group one, how, how do you get out? God has this ideal, which is perfection. And we can't make it to perfection. So that has separated mankind from God because we can't be perfect. In Romans 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It is in Christ God sees us as perfect. It is in Christ, group one, that God says, yeah, you're imperfect, but Christ is perfect. And you're in, you make a decision to come into Him. So now I see you as perfect. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrated His own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That means that Christ took all of our imperfections, all of our sin, all of our mistakes, and said, I will take care of that. I will take the penalty for that. I will die for each of them. If you're in group one, you need to know that God desires that you obey Him. That God desires that you come into a relationship with Him and trust in Him to forgive everything you've done. Trust in Him to come into your life 
and make a difference. You can do that today. There's people over in Theater 2, when we're finished up here, if you're in Group 1 and you're saying, I don't want to be in Group 1 anymore. I want to get out of Group 1. How do I do it? Just go next door to Theater 2 when we're finished up here, and there's people there that will guide you through the process of obeying what God said to do when He says, trust in my Son, Jesus Christ. And baptism is only valid after you've trusted in Christ to forgive your sins. There's no magic in water. There's no magic in an act. There's, no, there's nothing about it that's magical. It's obeying what Christ said to do. Christ forgives sins, not baptism. I could, I could bring somebody up on the stage that doesn't know Christ and I could dunk them in the water over and over and over again and it won't matter anything if they haven't given their hearts and lives to Him. How many people got a wedding ring on? can't get mine off anymore. <laughs> Gosh, I got it off first service. I don't think it's coming off. I even let somebody else wear it. I don't think it's... Okay. Baptism. What makes that do that, Doug? Why did that happen? Oh. Baptism is like a wedding ring. It shows on the outside the commitment that's been made on the inside. I could slide this ring. All the single guys, if you're if you don't mind admitting you're single, right? Just tell me who's single. All right, guys. One. Okay. Yeah. And then the rest of you, you know, we can talk about repentance later. If I were to take this ring and you just slip that on a single guy's finger, does that make him married? No. The power is not in the ring. The power is in the commitment that's behind it. The commitment on my finger that shows that almost 14 years ago, I committed to my wife and that I love my wife and I'm dedicated to my wife. That's what this shows. And that's what baptism shows. It's not this act that's magical. It's what's behind it. It's what's symbolized. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Your death, your burial, and your resurrection as a new person. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Getting to know Christ. Salvation is because of God's grace, not because of any list of acts that we follow. Group two. This group would be the question group. Because you're the group that you've made a decision to follow Christ. You've asked God to forgive your sins. You've asked Jesus to come into your life and make you whole but you haven't been baptized. That means that something big is missing from your walk with Christ. Because Jesus said, obey me. And Jesus clearly said that he wanted all of his followers to be baptized. The water doesn't save you, but the act of baptism shows that you've given your heart and life completely to Christ. In a public way, it shows that. 
But people in this group tend to have a lot of questions. If you've been committed to Christ for a while and somebody talks to you about baptism, you're like, well, you know, I was baptized as a baby. Would that do? Let me tell you what the Bible has to say about babies being baptized. Nothing. It's really not mentioned in anywhere. But if you were baptized as a baby, I think it's great that parents take a child and say, we want to raise this child up to know God. We want to raise this child up to have a relationship with God. And when they're old enough to make a decision, we pray this child makes a decision to live for God. A baby can't make a decision to give its heart and life to Christ. A baby can't make a decision to to die, be buried, and resurrected in a symbolic way. So if that happened to you, wonderful. If you were baptized as an infant, that's great. But infant baptism is not in Scripture. Infant baptism is not what is talked about when you read about people coming to know Christ and showing that love and commitment by being publicly baptized. Some people might say in this group, well, do I have to? Do do, do I have to be baptized? Well, do you want to obey what Christ said to do? Do you want to obey Him when He says, be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? It's your decision. Nobody's going to make you do it, but it's your decision. How about, I don't like to get in the water. How about you just you know sprinkle a little bit on my head? Will that, will that do me? In Scripture, baptism was always immersion in water. There's never a place where it talks about it. In fact, the word baptism comes from a Greek word that means to fully make wet. So, do you have to be immersed? If you want to be baptized biblically, yes, you do. And like I said, baptism does not save. Only Christ saves. But baptism shows on the outside what's gone on on the inside. The book of Acts, A-C-T-S in the New Testament, It's kind of like the newspaper story of the first century church. And in chapter 2 of that book, a guy named Peter gets up to tell a bunch of Jewish people about Christ and about what happened, about His death, about His suffering, about His resurrection. And at the end of that story, they want to know what to do because they felt bad. How How can I get in on this relationship with this Christ you're talking about? And these people ask Him and He tells them, you need to repent of your sins. You need to accept Christ. And you need to be baptized. And 3,000 people did it. 3,000 people said yes to baptism. Baptism wasn't something brand new because these were all Jewish people in the book of Acts hearing this message. It wasn't something foreign to them. Because in Jewish tradition, there were baptisms for hundreds of years before Christ ever came on the scene. If you wanted to make a fresh start, a new start, even as a Jewish person, you could go and be publicly immersed in water and be raised and make a fresh start. If you wanted to be adopted into somebody's family, they had a rebirth ceremony, which was immersion in water and then a rebirth. If you wanted to become a Jewish person, you would go and you would be immersed in water and you would be brought back up to show that you're reborn. 
And the difference was when he said you need to be baptized, is he, it wasn't just regular baptism like they'd known for centuries. It was baptism in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. That's where the forgiveness came from. And people were being baptized into his name. So it wasn't a new thing in the New Testament. It had been around for centuries. And these folks were familiar with it, that it meant it was reflecting what was on the inside on the outside. So if you sit in this group today, you need to be baptized. Next week you have an opportunity to do that. If I haven't answered enough questions about what I've said up till now, there's some folks over in theater too when we're finished up here today. Go talk to them. You need to take your next step of faith in your relationship with Christ. Baptism is a death, a burial, and a resurrection. In Romans 6, verse 4, it says, We were buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So why would I stop in the middle of, we're going through this teaching series and we've got our birthday coming up and and today stop and talk about this, this symbolic act of baptism. Talk about how you can get out of group one, how you can get out of group two. Why would I stop and talk about that? Because that is why we do what we do. And the day that we stop caring about and talking about what it means to come out of an old life and start a new life with God and come into a relationship with Christ that can change everything about you and everything about your future. When we stop talking about that, we can take down the name church and put up the name club because we're here to help people come into a relationship with the creator of the universe And we want to do that in a way that's relevant and do that in a way that's enjoyable and do that in a way that brings energy to the room. But the day we stop letting that be the center of all we do is the day we have completely and totally missed the mark. So if you sat there over the last 25 minutes and you thought, well, I've done all that. Why is he talking about that today? Well, there might be somebody next to you that's never heard that before. There might be somebody next to you that needs answers to those questions. And today... If you're in group one, we want to help you go the next step and not stay there. If you're in group two, we want to help you go the next step and not stay there. If you're in group three, we want to help you grow in your faith and take it to places that it's never been before. Every day you have an opportunity to start over.